Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. So this is uh, week five of six in our series on We Can Know Jesus. Uh, And as you saw a couple of uh, Sundays ago, uh, the text for this uh, series has been uh, Eternity is Now in Session by John Ortberg. Uh, And we were lucky enough to hear from him a couple of weeks ago. But if you've been doing the uh, bookmarks, you know that the other text we've been using is Philippians. Uh, We've been reading through Philippians verse by verse. Um, But what I thought I'd do today is look at Philippians as an entire book. Um, And the overriding theme that comes through in Philippians is joy. In just four short chapters, Paul mentions uh, joy or joyful or rejoicing 16 times. And so I want to focus on joy. And you might be thinking, mate, this is not a good time to talk about joy. If you haven't noticed, the world is in the grip of a global pandemic. Uh, Millions of people have been infected. Hundreds of thousands of people uh, have died. Uh, Economies have gone down to gurgler. People's mental uh, health is uh, affected. How can we really talk about joy uh, in a time like this? Um, But what I want to go into is I think there are real parallels between uh, Paul writing the letter to the Philippians uh, and our isolation time. So come with me and we'll look at a bit of history uh, together. So the timeline for Paul, most of you will know that he uh, grew up uh, in a Jewish household, trained uh, as a Pharisee, uh, and at the age of 30, uh, he has this conversion, this amazing conversion experience uh, on the road to Damascus. As you remember, the Lord appears to him in a blinding light, uh, and he's basically um, converted, uh, and he spends the rest 20 plus years walking around, uh, traveling around, uh, preaching, teaching, planting new churches uh, across the Mediterranean, the Near East, uh, and the Middle East. And um, that is not an easy time, uh, those 20 years, by Paul's own uh, description in 2 Corinthians. Uh, This is what he says about his uh, life. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the, in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food, and I have been cold and naked." So this is a man who uh, knows what a stressful uh, life is like and what difficult circumstances uh, are like. Um, And what happens is that at the age of around 52, he's preaching in Jerusalem, and he so enrages the Jewish people that they actually mob him and start to beat him uh, to the, almost to the point of death. And for his own safety, the Roman soldiers uh, come and arrest him. And then he gets caught up in this political intrigue because the Jews press false allegations against him. Uh, and because of the corrupt governors, he ends up languishing in prison for two years. 
And so he appeals to Caesar. Uh, he gets transferred to Rome, gets shipwrecked on his way to Rome. And he writes this letter to the, to the Philippians during his house arrest for two years. So imagine um, he's had two years in prison already. He has two years of COVID isolation time, similar to we have, to what we've had. Um, and he writes this letter to the Philippians during that time. Now, um, his house arrest looks very similar to um, what we've experienced as, as the COVID isolation time in terms of, um, in fact, it's even worse, actually, because he is not able to go out uh, to the grocery store, not able to go out to exercise. Uh, and sometimes he's actually chained to a guard. Uh, sometimes the guard is outside his home and sometimes physically chained to him. So this is a man who knows what it is like to be in isolation, uh, what it is to be stressed. He has the death sentence hanging over him if his case is heard and it goes the wrong way. And yet during this time of isolation, he writes this incredible letter to, the, to his friends in uh, Philippi, full of joy. And so you have to think, what is driving this man? What is the secret of his joy or the secrets of his joy? And so what I want to do is go through uh, the letter to the Philippians uh, and just highlight what are the five things that uh, Paul indicates as the source of his joy and what he sees during this time. So secret number one is, he says many times in his letter, rejoice in the Lord. He is saying really, we, as in, it's our human nature that we look for happiness and look for joy in anything in the world, whether it's our circumstances, our money, our uh, travels, our friends, uh, and certainly those things, family, friends, can give us happiness. But he says, um, rejoice in the Lord. Only knowing Jesus can really give us true joy. So if there's no Jesus, there's no joy. But if we know Jesus, uh, there is joy. There's the words of uh, Jesus himself in John 15. He says, as my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. So the image we have here is that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves us. Um, and in the same way, the joy from the Father overflows to the Son and the joy from the Son overflows to us. And that source of joy comes from knowing Him, but knowing also that we are loved uh, by Him. So secret number one of joy is to uh, recognize that it can only come from knowing Jesus and knowing that we are loved by him. Secret number two is he says rejoice in the Lord. And, and the first part of that rejoice is actually in the tense of the imperative. Paul is giving us a command. Um, rejoice is a command. But then you might be thinking, how can we command a feeling? Um, it's not subject to command. So to understand the imperative here, we have to understand Paul's take on the Christian life. So Paul, um, throughout his letters, uses uh, images of athleticism. He says, I run the race so as to win the crown. I push my body hard and make it obey me. Um, in the Greek, that language is actually coming from a boxing term. He says, I pummel my body uh, and I make it obey me. So Paul's image throughout his letters of the Christian walk it, is that it is something that takes effort and discipline. Now, Paul is not somebody who is a self-help guru. He's not saying, pull yourself up by your, your own breeches. Um, 
he recognizes that it is a, a cooperative work between our effort and the work of the Holy Spirit. In Philippians 2, he says, um, this is what he says about how he sees salvation. Continue to work out your salvation, it's the imperative again, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This is why the Bible continually talks about being co-creators with God. It is our effort and our energies being put in, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us um, that brings that to fruition. So just as it is, just as it is with salvation here, this is true about joy. Um, he says, rejoice as a command, but he also recognizes in Galatians 5 that it, joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So it is our spirit working with the Holy Spirit um, that brings this about. So you might think maybe, maybe Paul's just being very analytical here. Maybe he's the kind of person who um, can command his feelings. Uh, maybe he's never felt the emotional roller coaster of life. Um, but that's not true because Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, is quite honest about the, the roller coaster of emotion that he has had to endure in his life. He says to, to the church in Corinth, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. If Paul was writing in modern language, he would say he was stressed to the max and suicidal. So Paul knows what it is like to have the emotional roller coaster, the ups and downs of life, and yet he still says rejoice as a command. So I think he's telling us here that joy is not a feeling, it is an effort and it is uh, rooted in the spiritual reality uh, of who God, who God is and who Jesus uh, is and his love for us. And he amplifies this a little more in the letter. Um, like all things, uh, it takes time to develop this and it takes time to work through this. Uh, in Philippians 4, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Um, I think what we see here is that Paul is not naturally a happy or a joyful fellow. Um, I think he was probably quite a type A personality, very driven, very ambitious. Um, so uh, he's had to learn to be content. It is something that's taken uh, effort and time. Later in the letter, he also um, tells us it takes intentionality. In Philippians 4, he writes, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I think we have an example here of how Paul is using his COVID isolation time. Here he is in house arrest for two years, and he spends his time thinking about the deep truths of who God is and of the church. So he not only writes the letter to the Philippians during this time, he writes the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians, and the letter to Philemon. So he is spending his COVID time um, with his mind fully engaged in the truths of God. Um, I think um, it's interesting, one of, um, my, one of our friends in Canada is an artist, and he did a whole series of uh, works um, about electronic devices as Trojan horses, um, that they really um, have a way of sucking up your time and allowing things into your heart and your mind and your soul that you might not otherwise uh, have let in. Um, and so I think we have to ask ourselves, 
um, what is he saying here about our COVID isolation time and how we use uh, our time? Are we using it to binge on Netflix or are we using it to think about the deep things uh, and the deep truths of God? Um, some of you may have seen these uh, in the trivia things that come around, uh, have come around during the COVID time, but uh, Martin Luther, during his isolation time, uh, ended up translating the New Testament in, into German. Uh, and in that process, basically uh, created the whole modern German language. Um, this happened after he was uh, excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And again, for his own safety, uh, he was under house arrest in Wartburg in a castle um, owned by Frederick of Saxony for his own protection. So during that isolation time, he uh, set to translating uh, for the first time the New Testament into German. We have the example of Victor Hugo, uh, who was in exile for 20 years from France and during his isolation time ended up writing Les Mis, which is one of the most uh, powerful stories uh, of grace and forgiveness and redemption. Uh, and we have Shakespeare, who during a time of plague in 1606, when the theaters were closed and he couldn't uh, join his actors, ended up uh, writing uh, not only uh, King Lear, but Othello and uh, Anthony and Cleopatra, all in the space of a year. So um, some lessons there about how we use our time and how to be intentional uh, with our time. Pressing on, the third secret of joy is that it happens despite circumstances. So I think it's, it's normal in our human nature to look to our surroundings to give us happiness and joy. We um, get a promotion, we have good work, we have a good meal, we have a good trip. Uh, we look for the circumstances to give us happiness. And often we pray to God that he would change the circumstances so that we can be happy. But what comes through in this letter uh, to the Philippians is that often it is through the circumstances, um, going through the circumstances with God, that brings the joy. Remember that when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, Nero was the emperor on the throne. And Nero, if you know your Roman history, was one of the most ruthless, despotic, uh, corrupt, uh, power-hungry uh, emperors, and life was not easy. So the uh, persecution of the church started during this time. And if you know your history, a few years later is when Rome burns. Um, some historians think it was actually Nero that started it, but he ends up blaming the Christians. And of course, then the persecution of the Christians really ramps up. Um, but um, Jesus himself said, uh, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And the Greek word for overcome here is nikau, which comes from Nike, the Greek goddess of victory. Um, but the word was used specifically of victory in battle. So you can't take part in the victory unless you've taken part in the battle. Um, and this is the, the, the point that Paul understood in Philippians 3, which is the passage, Philippians 3.10, sorry, the passage that Sue started us off uh, in the very first one of the series, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but he adds this, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul understands that you don't get to share in the victory unless you've gone through the battle. You don't get to share in the resurrection unless you've gone through the crucifixion. That just seems to be God's way of working, God's modus operandi. 
He doesn't change the circumstances in order to give us uh, happiness. He asks us to go through the circumstances with him so that he can take us to a place of joy. And even Jesus has to go by this um, principle. In Hebrews 12.2, we read, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down in the right hand of the throne of God. So even Jesus, in order to get to the joy, has to go through the crucifixion. Hopefully you're still with me. We get to secret number four. And this secret is about being other-focused. Paul, in the second letter, in the second chapter of the letter, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I think this is particularly interesting in the time of COVID uh, at the moment. We've had to um, perhaps suffer some restrictions to our freedom, not be able to do things that we would want to do, but we endure these restrictions because it is for the greater good of our society and particularly uh, for the good of our elderly people um, because they are at the greatest risk of COVID. I think it's interesting to compare our experience in Australia uh, with COVID to a very similar sized country like Sweden. So Sweden has almost the same population that we do. They have had four times uh, the number of cases of COVID, but they have had 37 times the number of deaths than we have. Um, They made the the choice not to put the restrictions uh, on, and the people that have died and suffered are the elderly. Almost all of those deaths are in the elderly. So what I see in the gospel here, look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. That has to be the gospel values. We we do this, these COVID, um, we comply with these COVID restrictions for the interest of others and for the welfare of others. Now, Paul also puts it in the reverse. Being other-focused is a good thing, and being self-focused is a bad thing that leads to anxiety. He says in, in the fourth chapter of the letter, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I think it's interesting there. He recognizes that anxiety comes when we are focused inward, when we're kind of caught up with all our uh, problems, our difficulties, our circumstances. And so he starts this passage by saying, the Lord is near, do not be anxious. I think he's saying, you know, lift your gaze from off from yourself and look to the Lord. He is beside you. Um, and, and convert that, instead of worrying, convert that to prayer and petition and thanksgiving. So as, as a doctor, I know that anxiety is sometimes uh, based physically. So we are body, soul, and spirit, and sin has affected our world in such a way that sometimes, yes, physically, the neurotransmitters are out and we need medication. But in the same way that we need medication for the physical uh, part of us, we need this medication for our spirits and our souls. Prayer, petition, and thanksgiving is the medication that we give to our souls to help deal with anxiety. So fourth secret of joy is to be other-focused and to avoid being uh, self-focused. And the medication for that, uh, though sometimes it's physical medication, the the prescription that Paul gives us here is to bring everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving 
uh, to God. The fifth secret of joy is being part of a community that's involved in kingdom work. Paul writes in the first chapter, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. He finds joy in being part of a group that is involved in kingdom work and and pulling in the same direction. In chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my brethren, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. He finds joy in being part of this community that is pulling in the same direction. Now, if you are a realist, you know that wherever there's uh, two or more people, there is a potential for uh, problems. Wherever there's people, there's problems. Uh, and you might be thinking that if Paul knew some of the people you knew, he wouldn't be considering them a source of joy. Um, so is, is Paul being idealistic here? Is he being just rosy-colored uh, glasses? And in fact, Paul is being a complete realist because in um, this letter, in, in the first part of this letter, um, he talks about people who have uh, been preaching the gospel out of false motives, people who've been grumbling about his leadership, people who've opposed his preaching. And in the last part of the letter to the Philippians, he talks about uh, two women who have a personal conflict that's interfering with the work of the church. In some of his other letters, uh, he has to rebuke people uh, for taking each other to court and suing each other. He even has to take them uh, to task for being in an incestuous relationship. He takes them to task for being cliquey, for um, the rich people kind of um, meeting together and ignoring the poor. So over and over in his letters, Paul knows clearly the fallibilities of the church and the problems of people. And yet despite that, he says to them, you are my joy. Being part of this group of sometimes dysfunctional people is a joy. So how does he reconcile the two? Well, I think the key comes from the passage we saw before in Galatians 5, where we said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Now, patience is an interesting translation because the older versions, uh, the the King James, said forbearance. And if we look at the Greek, the Greek is actually macrothymia. Macro means long, and thymia means passion. So in the same way that in English we'd say somebody can be short-tempered, This is the Greek equivalent of being long-tempered. You kind of just, you you know what is going to happen and you just have the patience uh, and the grace uh, to put up with it. So what Paul is recognizing and what I think he's demonstrating to us here is he's fully aware of the foibles of uh, people in community and, and all the pitfalls that can happen. But he recognizes that somehow the Holy Spirit is at work. God works through the messiness. And we have 2,000 years of history to prove that. So if we were around in Paul's time, what we would have seen is a huge Roman Empire that seemed all-powerful, and this little ragtag bunch of uh, believers off in the fringes of the empire. And who would have thought that 2,000 years later, it is the gospel that has been brought by that you know, band of misfits that has completely transformed all of Western civilization and, and made it what, we, um, what it is now and what we admire. All right, so we've covered a lot of ground, just to summarize. So what we've said is that um, joy comes from knowing Jesus and knowing that we're loved. 
Secret two is to recognize that it takes effort, takes time, and takes intentionality. And that we, uh, Paul warns us to use our time wisely, to fill our hearts and minds with the things of God. Secret three is that it happens uh, by embracing the messiness of being in community. Um, four is that it is um, other-focused and, uh, and we avoid the anxiety of being self-focused. And secret five is that it is joyful to be part of a community that is involved in kingdom work. Um, I think the overall thrust of the whole letter is that really happiness is a feeling, but joy is really uh, an effort that is infused by the Holy Spirit that is rooted in a spiritual reality of who God is. And hopefully you can experience joy um, despite whatever circumstances uh, you're going through. Thank you.